Welcome, everybody, to episode 124 of the Metabolus 2 podcast, which features myself, Ben. And David. And we're going to continue on with our discussion about John Pertweed this evening. And we are on season... We got up to season 8. No. Yes, we did get up to season 8. Yeah, we did briefly touch upon season 8, and I think we discussed the demons and... Yeah, so season nine, unless you have more thoughts on the first two of uh, Pertwee's seasons. I, I do not have any more thoughts upon <laughs> the first two Pertwee seasons. Let us mm-hmm. continue with, with season nine. So we open up with our first color Dalek story, Day of the, the Daleks. The Daleks are back, yes. Yeah, not written by Terry Nation. No, this is their first return after they were ostensibly exterminated forever at the end of um, uh, Evil of the Daleks. Yeah. To make way for the uh, Terry Nation TV show, which never really happened. Yeah, the Destroyers, or whatever it would have turned out to be. Yes, what a mystery. Um, I really liked Day of the Daleks. Yeah, I think it's a really, uh, I think it's a, I think it's a good one. This is the debut of the Ogrons, right? Is that? Yeah, this is the Ogrons of, of yeah, the Ogrons are here. Mm-hmm. Who, who doesn't like the Ogrons? <laughs> I love the Ogrons. The Ogrons are brilliant. My son and I were rewatching Day of the Daleks here recently, and uh, mm-hmm. we were commenting about the difference between the special edition uh, Day of the Daleks with Nick Briggs doing the Dalek voices and the pickups where they had more Daleks uh, invading the manor. And right, right. It has a different feel to it with the Daleks being gone since, what, 1967 or whenever Evil was on, and... It's quite a different tone. They got they for, kind of forgot how the Daleks were for Pertwee. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the impression you get. I I go backwards and forwards on the old special edition. I do like the new voices. Mm-hmm. Um, well, who doesn't love Nick Briggs doing a Dalek voice? Exactly. I think the special effects are, are okay, but they're not hugely necessary. I think it's you know right. I think it's good. I mean, I have to say that this, uh, you know, this whole um, season. So, Day of Daleks, Curse of Peladon, Sea Devils, Mutants. And Time Monster is pretty much kind of peak, peak Pertwee in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, He's not tired of the role yet. <laughs> no, and kind of ra- rounding off with the Time Monster, which is mm-hmm. a favorite favorite of mine. It's it's Doctor <laughs> Who the movie, basically. It's like, well, hey, let's throw throw everything, let's throw mm-hmm. everything at this one. And uh, Sea Devils again, a particular favorite of mine. Uh, as 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 I guess as I keep on telling everyone in this podcast, it was. The first kind of full length who I ever saw, which was you know that Christmas omnibus edition. Right. A lot of affection for the Sea Devils, and again, great to have the master, mm-hmm. you know, back again, and you know, that kind of continuing story. And it, was this really the first time that Who had done a, a kind of a pickup arc of some kind? Can't really mm-hmm. remember at this. Well, point. we have so, the arc, but that was one one continuous story. We had longer, longer serials like with. Uh, I think the Daleks in the Hartnell era of the 1960s, especially starting with the the chase and going to the master plan and stuff, seemed yeah more... okay yeah I suppose so. But I mean like a character arc, like you know the master he arrives. Yeah, I evil, guess the meddling captured. monk really wasn't much of an arc. No, was th- not there really. mainly because Dennis Spooner wanted to get the royalties for him. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I can't really fault this season at all. This season is a lot of fun. Um, it's great to have everything in color. Mm-hmm. They really kind of work with color TV at this point. They're really kind of like, what can we do that's really super colorful? And we're just going to do it. Right. Um, it's actually about this time. I can't remember what would the... I think actually it was... Maybe it was the summer special after the Time Monster. This is really the first time... This is when I started reading the Doctor Who comics as well. 
in mm. um, TV action and countdown and you know those I think it was TV action that I read and I have very strong memories of the summer special which I think was the summer of 73 because it had the mutants really on it yeah the front cover of the summer special maybe it was the summer of 72 I'll have to look it up anyway mm-hmm. it, but the, it had a still from the mutants on the front mm-hmm. um, I just want to I, I don't know I guess on the on the subject of Doctor Who comics. If people haven't checked out Third Doctor classic comics, um, well worth checking out. Jerry Haylock, a great, great British comic book artist, um, and just does the most amazing John Pertwee you've ever seen. He looks more like John Pertwee than John Pertwee does, to be honest. Um, Jerry Haylock's rendition. So yeah, a lot of affection for this season. A lot of mm-hmm. affection. You must have been about eight eight years old seven eight years old for this yeah campaign? yeah i'm seven eight years old and i'm just kind of getting into it i'm just kind of realizing that there's this awesome tv show that is kind of hovering around my consciousness and mm-hmm. um i must start watching it soon <laughs> watch it <laughs> devotedly i mean what was what, what, what was your first experience of this season must be on the must be via dvd or, or, or vhs no ktca broadcast in and this season, well, the previous season, I think the demons was in black and white. So this, uh, no, this wasn't the first color because it definitely seemed terribly autons in color before. So this, this is probably the first complete Pertwee season that I saw. Oh, really? Okay. And they, they did, they did it in order. Yeah. Well, more or less. Sometimes uh, KTCA would screw up and play things out of bbc broadcast order they would they would uh, line up the production codes but if the production codes were in order then <laughs> that's the order they would play right oh interesting so, okay but uh yeah this was good i really liked the time monster from the first time i saw it i liked the yeah. historical aspect of it i don't know if i cottoned on to the master quite and made that connection that he was, well, the first time I ever ex- was exposed to the Master was with the um, Deadly Assassin, and that just made no sense why this oh, this really? character wow. would be so significant. Okay. And then um, had the Master in the early Davison era and the, at the end of Legopolis, Keeper of Tarkin, and it didn't really start making sense for me, um, Roger Delgado and the master and what all the big deal about what the master was until season, of course, season eight, but then more in season, season nine. And I think specifically with the sea devils, with the master being imprisoned and the relationship between the master and the doctor and how the doctor, uh, had mixed, mixed feelings about uh, the master being trapped in prison, how he was trapped on earth. Um, subject to Time Lord's whims, uh, being allowed out into the universe, and uh, you could see, you could see what uh, uh, Letts and Dix were trying to get at with this uh, relationship between the, uh, and for and for their purposes, uh, Sherlock Holmes and his Moriarty. Right. Right. So, yeah. So that's no, kind of kind of my early memories of season nine, but. These weren't ones that I recorded. I was pretty much not doing heavy recording on VHS when these were going. This was mid-80s, and I was more trying to 
get the complete Tom Baker, and these were kind of an afterthought. Anything that wasn't the fourth Doctor was kind of an afterthought, but these were very, very enjoyable, and for the longest time, this really hit me in a sweet spot. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, it's interesting for me, because apart from the Sea Devils, um, I mean, I really saw all of these you know, on VHS when they were, when they were released. And mm. I, 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 I think I bought, you know, VHS was still expensive. You know, I think I bought the Sea Devils. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. But uh, I think I rented the others where I was living in the early nineties mm. in the North of England. There was an amazing video rental store that had all who basically, uh-huh. um, and you could just go and rent them. Um, and, and I think a lot of those, VHSs that I rented, you know, a, a, a proportion of those, I, you know, I actually found it a little bit disappointing, especially since the ones that I most kind of eagerly rented were ones that I remembered having read, right. you know, this whole kind of target novelization thing, you know, and of course, Day of the Daleks is, is a great novelization. Mm-hmm. Um, sea Devils is another great um, Mac Hulk novelization. Mutants is an excellent novelization. Right. Um, Time Monster, don't really remember that one, actually. Mm-hmm. Probably not very good. Terrence Dix, probably. I think. Ter- yeah, I think it was a Terrence Dix kind of dashed off one. But actually, all of these I kind of enjoyed first off, even through kind of murky murky VHS. And mm-hmm. they're all excellent on DVD. So, yeah. Mm. So I would get these in VHS, and there was no place to rent Doctor Who where I was in uh, the Twin Cities or North Carolina when I was doing my heavy Doctor Who VHS purchases. Right. And it was always, this was before you could just uh, log on to Amazon and get something delivered to you. So it was always a roulette what uh, Best Buy would have in VHS really? in stock or Sun Country. So it was always exciting to see something uh, like the uh, next season with Carnival of Monsters. I think I had missed that on uh, broadcast in the Twin Cities. So that was entirely new Doctor Who for me back in like right. 90, 90, 95. Right. So the the mid nineties is when I plugged all the holes and uh, building my DVD collection. It was the first time I had a full time job, and was a little extra cash I had was going to <laughs> uh, going to uh, fund my Doctor Who cabot. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll have. To, I mean, just to just to, to correction that. I mean, it wasn't usual that uh, video rental stores had had Who for rent. Um, hmm. It was. Very, very unusual, and the video store just down the road from my flat in Headingley um, was incredibly unusual that it had that oh, it had okay. all of that all of that good stuff to rent. If you went into like a regular, you know, northern video store, it's you know, it's the usual kind of you know Top Gun nonsense. Right. Um, but yeah, this is so. I was um, I was very lucky because I said you know they were prohibitively expensive. You know, mm-hmm. they were like you know t- uh, twenty. I can't actually remember how much they were. They were they were more dollars. Uh, yeah, they VHS were like twenty. Release. Yeah, they were. Tw- I think they were. You know, they, they were they were twenty pounds, twenty five pounds or so for you know for a double mm-hmm. pack, which is what the Sea Devils was. Yeah. At least you got a booklet with yours. We just got a little cardboard sleeved. Oh yeah, you did. Yeah, because American videos had those ridiculous, yeah, cardboard things. Oh, we mm-hmm. had a proper. We had a proper plasticky thing, which no mm-hmm. doubt is cluttering up some landfill now. Or the ocean. Uh, or the ocean. <laughs> it's cho- it's choking, a, choking a whale as we speak. Oh, yeah. that's a sad thought. There you go. Um, yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, this uh, season nine is, a, is an, a very excellent season. 
Very excellent season. I don't think there's really a clunker in any any of nope. Pertwee, and this is one I think is one of his most solid, strongest, consistent yep. seasons. And uh, Time Monster really gets to stick, and I think don't it's a why. lot of fun, and I really like the scenes in Atlantis, and it's what what makes it Doctor Who. And yeah, and you get the impression that everyone's, as you said, you know, he, no one is kind of bored of doing it yet. Right. You know, everyone seems to be having a good time. Mm-hmm. The serious bits they're serious about, the jokey bits they're jokey about. Mm-hmm. It was that, and again, I think I've probably said this before on the podcast, that the Time Monster was kind of filmed um, near where I lived, not that I knew that at the time or even knew it relatively after then. I only discovered that, you know, when it became uh, commonplace to know where Doctor Who was filmed. But yeah, it was just filmed up the road from from me if only my parents had taken me up to <laughs> heckfield and i would have been able to see the time monster being filmed but sadly they didn't mm, that's oh a well missed opportunity missed opportunity thanks res- mom and dad <laughs> yeah i resent i resent them both to this very day years of counseling because of that years of counseling because they didn't do that exactly exactly oh, funny kind of a unit light season too because we just get unit in the day of the daleks and then the time monster i mean you get kind of bridging scenes where the doctor goes off in the tardis but really the only time unit is heavily involved is in time monster and day of the daleks yeah yeah which i think is good you know i mean i think it's a very nicely curated if i can use that cliche season (laughs) you know you have you have a you know daleks come slamming in with the first story, um, some great timey-wimeyness. I mean, it's one of the first times that Doctor Who has really done a timey-wimey mm-hmm. episode. And that's based on Earth. Unit are there, but we're also on an alternative Earth as well, kind of. So it's a punchy four episodes. and Not a lot of slack there. you got the Ogrons mm-hmm. coming in for the first time. Um, you get to see Joe's knickers again, which is great. <laughs> um, and then you're off into space. And yeah. you're off into space and... There's monsters and it's kind of Star Trek and that's cool. And then you're back to Earth again and the Master's back and there's right. ships and submarines, Royal Navy. There's what's his name out of Game of Thrones. And he's, now he's also Rassilon is, you know, is the, is the submarine captain. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And then you're off into space again with the mutants. But then you're down on a planet and it's all misty. Right. And then it's a time monster and everyone's gone to Atlantis and... Um, you know, Ingrid Pitt. <laughs> Ingrid Pitt's there, topless, mm-hmm. basically. Um, it's just, everything's <laughs> well, she, good. Her costume is very Minoan-inspired. Very Minoan-inspired. Thankfully, not fully. Well, not thankfully. Sadly, not fully <laughs> not fully Minoan-inspired, but certainly very, very true to the Minoans. You've got David Prowse, Darth Vader is there leaping around right. as a Minotaur. Um, you've, got, you've got some great dialogue in the Time Monster. Good shit, women's live and all that. Um, yeah. You got my favorite Doctor Who gadget of all time, which is the uh, the thing that's made out of forks and a bottle and some cork and stuff and spins mm-hmm. round, um, which which I love. I think that's a brilliant a brilliant piece of business there from the writers and also from John Pert. We do so. Yeah, I I would fight anyone who's who said that this wasn't a great, 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 mm-hmm. great, great season. And ends with Benton and Stark naked and sitting on the floor. Yeah, and everyone laughs. It's like it's like a Scooby-Doo ending. It's like, oh, oh, oh it's naked Benton. Poor man. Yeah. They're all laughing at him. He's naked. That, that can't be very good for his... <laughs> morale. For his morale, exactly. Uh, you, would, you would have thought he would have been the one scarred. And, uh, Ex- <laughs> it all, dark, dark, dark Benton, exactly. Yes, it all began at the end of, with that... Uh, 
yeah, the exactly. experience, the time experiments, and the yeah, time yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, <laughs> you laughed at me, but now I, Benton, will take my revenge. Um, yeah. So there you go. So I think that's with, yeah. That's all I've got. Really, yeah, it's with, a great, but, great, great season. And then with season ten, we have the show finally acknowledging or acknowledging that it's it's a thing. It's a going concern. It's been around or will have been around for ten years with the three doctors. Yeah, uh, uh, it was a, a no brainer, I guess, to use the cliche of getting both of the former leads back and teaming them with John Pertwee to have the three doctors. Yeah, perfect. It gets criticized, I think, in some quarters as being kind of due too jokey. Um, the, yeah, I think the brigadier is seen as more of a figure of fun in this episode. It isn't his strongest. It isn't his strongest, but you know, I think it was a relatively troubled production. I mean, Bob Baker and Dave Martin, um, <laughs> uh, you know, they're not, they're not the easiest, not the easiest scripts to work with. I think, in some ways, in retrospect, it does suffer from. I think, obviously, originally having been planned to have William Hartnell be, you know, a major. Right. Uh, to be a major actor, you know, actor's the wrong word, you know, like a major figure in it. Um, have and have more screen minutes than he a actually A lot more did. screen minutes, and then mm-hmm. they had to kind of basically reassign his lines to like some rando scientist mm-hmm. who kind of has to do all the Hartnell stuff, which is a shame because I think, well, I mean, obviously it's a shame the poor man was ill, and right. so, so it is a shame. It is also a shame that that, 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 that didn't happen in the in the show. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I love it. I mean, I think, you know, there's some dodgy effects. Again, I think this is actually one for me that suffered quite considerably from an amazing novelization by uh, by Terence Dix. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you actually see the thing in real life. And, and the weird thing is, of course, I did see it when it was first broadcast. Right. And I remember it being awesome. And then I read the book because it was so awesome. And that made it even more awesome. And then I saw it again when it was released on VHS, it was like, oh, okay, well, that's not actually quite as amazing as I remember it. Hmm. I don't know. I think it's pretty good, actually. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, no, it's, it's, it's good, but I think, I think some of the effects I found disappointing. I was entranced as a reader by the idea of the, the, the flame of singularity, which I think was just this kind of amazing mm-hmm. idea and concept, and I loved the whole, you know, oh, and I'm invisible because, you know, my... my being, I'm just a big creature of pure will, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and then the actual flame of singularity is kind of like a, you know, a kind of a column of sort of, you know, smoke. That's right. what I remember being disappointed by when mm-hmm. I saw it again. Well, time. well, I like the gel guards. I I think those oh, gel guards blobby are things are wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Though, um, yeah, uh, yeah I, 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 again, from the books, I always pronounce it in my head as being gel guards. Now, that is interesting because... Those aren't the official name of those in the script. There's something something else. Oh, okay. And Maybe they are Gelgards then. No. So I think most Brits call it a Gelgard. A G- we do. A G-E-L guard. Yeah. Um, I think Americans, a lot of Americans will pronounce it Gelgard like Jello because it kind of looks like blobby strawberry Jello. Yeah. I think in the... Uh, yeah, in the novelization, Terrence Dix calls it a jelly blob. Right. And and then the Time Lords or the, the Doctor uh, in the script itself, it's only referenced as that organism thing. Oh, so okay. it's it's fandom, I think, that has uh, put on Gelgard or Gelgard as, uh, as, the, as the name of this. Are you sure it's not? Hang on, wait a second. Wait a second. Give me a second. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look up something now. Give, wait, wait a second. Holy Moses! What's that? 
Get Sergeant Benton, quick! How many of them? I'm not sure, Sarge. They seem to be springing out all over the place. Right. You hold them off here, and I'll cover the back. Right, you men, come with me. Hurry! Fire at will! Well, here we go. So this is, um, so we're referring back, you know, here again to, um, this is why I was thinking about Weetabix. So this is the Series 2 Weetabix game cards. So this is for the, uh, this is for the games. Um, it is, it is gel guards on those Weetabix cards. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, let me just read the back. Hideous servants of the powerful Time Lord Omega. Blobby, shapeless, and ruthless. Blimey. Sent to kidnap the Doctor from Earth, the Gel Guards, and that's spelled G E L Guards. Hmm. Hmm. So I'm looking. I'm looking here at Terence Dick's Three Doctors novelization, and okay. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we have things like for a moment the blob of jelly lay inert in the corner of the box, then it climbed slowly up the side, quivered on the edge, and plopped down on the laboratory bench. At first, it was motionless, as if puzzled by the new environment. Then it slid along the bench, dropped into a, the little sink, and vanished down the plug hole. See, I always, I always differentiated between the blob of jelly mm-hmm. that arrived in the, you know, attached to the, you know, X-ray measuring machine or whatever it came attached to, and the gel guards. Hmm. So here's okay. here's a little bit later. All around the building, he found a weird battle taking place. The terrifying jelly creatures were swarming everywhere, ignoring the fusillade of shots being poured into them. I think they're gel guards. I don't like the idea <laughs> of them being terrifying jelly. I think they're ruthless and and also made of jelly, um, and they're called <laughs> gel guards. And if they were, and if they were, if they were, yeah, and and it would be it would be jelly with a J. If yes, they were, yes. yeah. They yeah. are jelly with a J in the novelization by uh, Mr. Dix. Uh, not Gelly. Gelly not, with, not a, Gelly, with a G. Which would, so. which would be a girl, a, a yeah. woman's name, Gel. Gelly. Gel, Gel. Well, maybe, well, maybe the man ones are called, are called Gel Guards. Uh, or, or Gel. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, whatever. Do, do Gel Guards have, a, uh, have I sex? Think they, <laughs> I think they do. Some of them are called Gel Guards and some of them are called Gel Guards, mm. depend, depending on their sex. I think that's, I think that's, I think that's, that's true. Um, so, so what, I, I, what did they I, say we, on we, the action s- figures? Uh, what did it say on the action? Good question. Okay, let's look that up. Um, <laughs> okay, um, we have a schism here in our we do Metabulous have a two family. <laughs> yeah, character. Uh, ah, interesting. So I think character options. Yes, the producers of producer of Doctor Who action figures for many years until they gave up which is like a bit why a bit poor in my opinion though there's actually a whole bunch have just been uh, announced today in fact they've got a whole new set coming out really what, um what, yeah anything whole... classic well actually um two two cool things one a whole bunch of sets that are based on big finish productions Interesting. so so repaints of the doctors but in big finish clothes so sylvester mccoy's got kind of giant chet trousers on <laughs> um, but all with Daleks, so like different repainted Daleks from mm. uh, Big Finish Dalek stories. But also, there's a two Doctors set with like a grey-haired Patrick Troughton. Um, they didn't redo the Sontarans to be the kind of ridiculously elongated Sontarans from the two Doctors. They just like did another Sontaran mm-hmm. um, uh, of the two ones they already had. But uh, the, I think exciting for me is there's a Harry 
So there's Matt a Harry, Harry Sullivan? From, a Harry Sullivan from um, a Sontaran experiment. Really? Can a Sarah Jane be far off? Yeah, I mean, the thing about the Sarah Jane is that, uh, and I remember this at the time, she was really, because she was so ill, Right. she was kind of rationing her availability and really concentrating on on the, on the Sarah Jane adventures. And right. so they never really got to sculpt her or model her effectively. So, I mean, I don't know how they managed to do Harry Sullivan. Maybe they... Maybe they have another person in their kind of stock who looks a bit like Harry Sullivan just did a repaint there. I haven't actually, I've been so busy, I've not actually spent a lot of time kind of researching how these come from, um, where, where these come from. But that's kind of exciting. I mean, they, I really hope they do a Sarah Jane. It'd be wonderful to have a, to have a Tom Bay because we have a Brigadier and we have, uh, we a have Joe a Casey Grant. Manning, a Joe, we, yeah, we have a Joe, a Joe Grant. Um, so we had that, you know, we had that unit team almost. It'd be so wonderful to have that classic Harry, Sarah Jane and uh, and Fourth Doctor team. Uh, so uh, the uh, big finish, sorry, big finish, beg your pardon. So the character options um, uh, 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 blob, mm-hmm. um, which is not one of their best. I don't actually own this one. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really think it did justice to the majesty of these creatures it's a gel guard so it's a g-e-l singular singular l mm-hmm. new word guard so That's another twist on it another twist on the mystery of we should uh, there must be some fans who've done a huge amount of research on this and then done a <laughs> podcast or like or even a youtube video um uh, 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 just saying exactly what these should be called um i i i call them gel guards so mm-hmm. there you go well, I am. I'm looking at this Harry Sullivan action figure, and it is a pretty good likeness for as action figures go. Yeah, which is a mystery because I mean, as as aficionados of uh, Doctor Who action figures know, um, what's really what's what's happened with 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 this big with this uh, character options line is they're really only doing repaints. Right. So basically, I mean, they did a they did a. Uh, uh, a uh, a talons of Wang Chiang Tom Baker and what they did mm-hmm. is they basically they took a a full Inverness cape Pertwee figure right. repainted it in a tartan and then stuck a stuck a um, stuck a Tom Baker head on top of it. I didn't really like that that much, so I mm-hmm. didn't buy that one. But I mean, you know, all all of the recent figures have all been repainted, so I'm just really curious to find out where this Sullivan came from. So are you going to be going to B&M when you're back um, yeah. pick up a Harry Sullivan? I'm not sure where the nearest B&M is to. Um, well, there must be one in Swindon. Hang on. B. <laughs> this is the world's most interesting podcast. Uh, it's me looking on the internet to find out where the nearest B&M is to Swindon. Uh, where were we? Oh, we were talking about Gelgards. Gelgards, yes. whatever the hell they're called. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're talking about Three Doctors. That's good. Carnal Monsters is also good. Some great Joe and the Doctor relationship activity. Mm-hmm. Talking about Harry Sullivan, of course. That's the first appearance of um, Ian Marta, yeah. What did you make of Carnival of Monsters? That's generally considered a more uh, a thinking for the smart 10-year-old rather than the action-packed uh, 8-year-old. Well, again, it was surprising when I watched it again on VHS... Because what I remember about the Carnival Monsters from having what when I watched it in 1973 is I remember the Drashigs. Mm. 
That's basically what I remember. I remember the Drashigs. Another character options action figure. Ah, yes, the Drashigs, the Drashigs hand puppet. Um, I remember the Drashigs, and I vaguely remember being inside the uh, the miniscope. I don't mm-hmm. remember the, the the all the satire about you know blah 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 bureaucracy all <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, don't remember any of that at all. But I mm-hmm. the Drashigs I thought were absolutely amazing. And I still do. They're brilliant. I love the Drashigs. I would like a more accurate Drashig action figure than was provided to me than, mm. than by um, character options. I think that's going to be a stretch to get it. I think I think you're right. Yes, I think you're right. It's an interesting series because you start out with the uh, anniversary celebration and of uh, anticipating 10 years of Doctor Who. And then as a reward, the Doctor can now time travel, I believe. And so the first place he goes is Peladon. Yeah. Um, why wouldn't you? And I remember actually, again, sorry, this again is becoming the, the world's most interesting podcast. And I remember very, very clearly just being amazed by the TARDIS falling off a cliff scene. Um, ah, in, yes. Yeah, which I thought was just like, oh, my God, how are they going to get out of this? The TARDIS has just fallen off a cliff. This is this is the most exciting TV show I have literally ever experienced <laughs> in my life. Because I just how are they going to get out of this? This is ridiculously frightening. Yeah, uh, this one I think I didn't really like very much. It reminded me a lot of Star Trek with the Federation, and right. you had a lot of different aliens in there. The Ice Warriors, which really I've never been a big fan of the Ice Warriors. Although I do really like Alpha Centauri, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So definitely. it is a, a bit of a mix mixed bag for me. But then right. go smack smack bang into a space opera which is really in ways star trekky with frontier in space right but it's done with a who sensibility i feel yeah 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 i we i mean we've talked about this i like frontier space is is apart from episode six where it all kind of you know the wheels come off a little bit mm-hmm. it's great costumes great the spaceships are <laughs> well, great costume costumes oh, are a I mixed the, bag i love those costumes uh, i love those space 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 soldier costumes yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> we see the ogrons again and we go to the ogron home planet i know ogros or whatever it's called i don't know with the rather unfortunate uh, ogron uh, monster or whatever they the 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 sack that they worship as a god yeah which is you know fair enough i mean the doctor who you know the, so sometimes you can't always get what you want um you know it's it's hard to do a kind of a one-shot god yeah. just you know get a big sack paint it orange um job done basically it's an interestingly designed story. You mentioned the costumes. The one costume I think that really stands out is the master with the logo in front where he totally uh. totally is advertising. It's a very stylized-looking Dalek if you look at it straight down the eye stock. Yeah, and this, this seems to be a, like a relatively recent discovery in fandom. It is, I think. I think it was just recently pointed out probably within the last... Uh, Three, four months on, on Twitter is where I saw it. Yeah, I wonder if anyone has been able to ask the original costume designer if they're still around, whether that was the intention. Because as soon as you see it, as the, as the cliche goes, you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks totally like a Dalek. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it was Barbara Kidd's costumes, who's you know, quite prolific in Doctor Who. So I would think that she did it intentionally. I mean, how could oh, yeah. you not do it intentionally? No, no. But it works perfectly because it mm-hmm. also could be like a moon and an earth as well, yeah. you know. So, yeah. you know, it's, 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 you know, the master's having a bit of a laugh, basically. Mm-hmm. He's like, here's my logo. Guess what it is? 
who am I working for? Ha ha. And it is a bit of a surprise to see the master because you would have expected him in the three doctors in the anniversary story if you're kind of celebrating Pertwee Arrow Who, but you don't see him. With this story, it's you first it's the master behind everyone, but then really no, the master's working on the behest of the Daleks. So it's a, a kind of a double reveal. Yeah, which again I think is still just amazing, an amazing piece of amazing piece of writing and storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's great when the master turns up and then like bam, it's not the master who's the bad baddie at this point. It's the it's the Daleks for whom he is working. Yeah, it's great. And what I really like in this especially is John Pertwee's the different scenarios that his doctor gets put in, like being in a penal colony on the moon. Right. And where he's out of uh, his normal garb and he's blending in with the prisoners and he's less pompous, he's less establishment in in that kind of portrayal where he is on his back heels a little bit. Yeah, and I, it's, it's Malcolm Hulk who actually kind of likes taking the Doctor out of his kind of Doctor clothes and putting him in other clothes. Because, hmm. um, uh, I mean, he obviously, you know, in... Uh, Right back to uh, the first Pertwee season with uh, the Silurians. Right. The Doctor is in his vest fixing a cyclotron and all that kind of stuff. So, you know. And then in the coveralls and cave exploring. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So maybe this is a Malcolm Hulk thing, you know, wants to... Uh, and again, I, I was. it's one of the more tedious things about the Doctor in the 80s, you know, there's this insistence um, they all have to wear the same clothes like, like they're superheroes. Mm-hmm. When in fact, the Doctor and his companions are not superheroes. They're just normal people who happen to wear odd clothes from time yeah. to time. And they do change them. Yeah, Mac Hulk also had Pertwee out of costume in the Sea Devils too with with the diving costume. So maybe it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe maybe it's it a, is something. It's a Mac Hulk thing. Yeah, he likes, likes to get the Doctor, likes to humanize the Doctor by putting him in different clothes mm-hmm. and pointing out that the, you know, the clothes that we associate the Doctor are simply the clothes that the Doctor happens to be wearing at any particular moment. And this one is a story, the Frontier in Space, really, uh, I think, a lot of the Venusian Aikido, with especially fighting the Ogrons, that's one of my memories of uh, Pertwee, is more and more the action man as his right. tenure as Doctor Who goes on. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the Ogrons are worthy opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love the idea of Ogrons having their own spaceship. You know, it's like, wow, that must be the world's worst, worst <laughs> run spaceship. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Ogrons are hilarious. I love Ogrons. <laughs> this should be they, they should bring the Ogrons back. I want to have the Ogrons back. They're good. I think to me they're a more interesting Jadun, but they're kind of the opposite of Jadun. Jadun are seen as intergalactic policemen, and uh, Ogrons are more intergalactic mercenaries. They are yeah. pretty pretty stupid guns for hire. They're they're the brute, heavy heavy uh, thugs. Yeah, that would have been amazing. Why? Why weren't the why, why was it the June? Why Jadun? Why? Why wasn't it Ogrons? That was an excellent suggestion. They could have had like just an you know a troop of Ogrons, and then one Ogron who's slightly more intelligent than the others, who's like in charge of them. <laughs> the no complications Ogron. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think Jadun started out with the with RTD having uh, Jadun on the moon that rhyme, and then. Right. Going from how they talk and... Right. You're doing platoon on the moon. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. RTD's yep. idea for alien species is always, uh, what kind of animal can I yeah. make bipedal and dress up? So yeah. I don't begrudge Jejun. I, I think it'd be also, there's room for Ogrons to return. If there's room for Zygons and other 
monsters, there's certainly room for Ogrons to Ogrons. Well, let's cross our fingers and hope that the Ogrons <laughs> will be returning very soon. 13 and the Ogrons. The Ogrons, ah. <laughs> this season also is kind of the end end of Joe Grant, so we're seeing her take charge kind of in Planet of the Daleks. Yeah, her doctor is on his back, all covered with fungus and stuff. And uh, Joe Grant has to go exploring the planet, trying to right. trying to sort out what's going on, make, having to make friends with people who are, you know, uh, again, sort of space mercenaries a little bit, or space mm-hmm. warriors, the Thals, and then also, you know, invisible people as well. Right. Of course, this would be almost directly repeated in the following season in Death to the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we hadn't seen it for almost 10 years, so since this is essentially, in many ways, <laughs> the Daleks. The this first, is the Daleks the first, again. Yeah. Which this is, is fine. Because, exactly, yeah, which is fine because this is, you know, this is the 10th anniversary season, so why not? Planet of the Daleks, there you go. Yeah. But the strongest of the season, I think, is the ending with the Green Death. Yes. And I think it ties in, well, definitely Barry Lett's environmentalism, yeah. his contemporary concerns, and um, melds it into a pretty awesome Doctor Who story. It's an amazing Doctor Who story, yeah. It's, it's, it's one of my favorites. And I think in the popular mind, you know, the one with the maggots, um, you know, you ask adults of a certain age, because, um, you know, as I, I think as I said before on this podcast, you know, everybody watched Doctor Who. It was a, a truly uh, popular TV show that everybody enjoyed. Everyone remembers the one with the maggots, even if they don't actually remember exactly what happened in it. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, this idea of kind of playground appeal um the idea of having a you know a disease or a you know a poison that could be communicated simply by touching goes straight into kids games everyone knows maggots at least they did in those days because you know things would go off more right. often um you know in the kind of antediluvian days of the 1970s um so yeah it's it's a it's a it's a goodie it's a goodie i mean you know some of the some of the welshness is a little bit did you, did you pick up that in america like how the Welsh was a little bit over overdone. Uh, probably not. No, I'm, I'm always the worst person to ask on that. And yeah. what I thought was overdone really was the uh, the kind of the, the nut hutch, the hippy dippy bit a little bit. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, I didn't think that was overdone at all. I thought that's that's just what hippies are like. Um, <laughs> I did know a little bit more about Welsh people, so like mm, Welsh people, not they're not quite as Welsh as that. Hmm. Um, and of course, it gets an opportunity for I think for the first time in many years for. John Pertwee to dress up and put on a funny voice. And dress and drag, too. Yeah, exactly. Put on a funny Welsh lady voice and be in <laughs> drag as the, the char lady, which is, a, which is a skill of the Doctor we had not been previously aware of. Mm-hmm. Another good Vesuvian Aikido scene, too, when he's taking Absolutely, on the guards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And it shows off a different character of the Doctor where I, uh, there's an Australian... Uh, post show that calls uh what the doctor is doing uh dock blocking uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes that's what he's doing oh yes yeah just uh, just the the sadness or the, the the unwillingness to let go of joe and then just the final acceptance at the end gun yeah um if ever if there was ever an episode that should have just ended with silence or the wind uh, right with um, him riding off in bessie that yeah. that would have been a very good one yeah, because of course you know Professor Jones is is really only the Doctor, but in human form. So mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah, it works. Yep, it does work. And uh, I think at about this time he decided that he was thinking about hanging up the cape. 
hanging up his cape and and yes so yeah which again i mean i think there's a whole lot of stories about like why he decided to stop being the doctor um i think you know i think for everybody you know four or five years is is probably enough even for tom baker you know who hung on for hung on for six you know Mm -hmm. by that fifth year you kind of got the impression that Certainly, by the sixth year, you got the impression that he was kind of fed up with it, um, but didn't know, but didn't know what what else to do with his time, basically. So, right. Yeah. So we get uh, his final season, season eleven. It's pretty different. It has a different feel to it, much like season eighteen does for Tom Baker. But we have a new companion in uh, Sarah Jane Smith, originally cast uh, an actor, April Walker that uh, Pertwee did not like. So Liz Slayton got the nod. And how lucky... Well, I can't say what what April Walker would have been like, but certainly Liz Slayton did an excellent job and she Mm -hmm. is firmly a fan favorite. Yes. And much-deserved fan Mm -hmm. favorite. And if we look at her character, this is Sarah Jane Smith journalist season from here, Time Warrior pretty much through robot where she's acting as a journalist and then when she goes off world more and more uh there's less opportunities for her to be assertive journalist and whatnot i guess yeah yeah and i you know and again i think it's fair enough i mean all of the all of the companions you know come in strongly as being well the majority of the companions you know come in strongly as having like a particular job and a particular character and they all sort of fade away um mm-hmm. and become just the person who hangs around the doctor and i think a lot of if that works or if that fails um a lot of that really depends on the on the strength of the actor mm-hmm. um and i think the relationship between uh, elizabeth sladen and tom baker was so strong that you know that was able that she was able to carry the slow fading away of her journalistic instincts you know very well yeah well, it's down to the actor and the chemistry between the leads yeah. that, that really carry that. Yeah. But the War Games introduced the Time Lords, and we had mentioned a few weeks back that the third Doctor is the first Lord in, yes. in the role. And with the Time Warrior, we now know where the Time Lords come from. They come from Gallifrey, Bob Holmes. Gallifrey, right. Uh, has the Santarans explained that. So little bit by little bit, chipping away on the mystery on who this person is and it kind of shows on how it ends then with the planet of spiders where we have a return to metabulus and we're seeing uh if if delgado was still alive there there was um, a dramatically different plan right but then with uh, Delgado's uh, passing um, after Frontier in Space, that all changes. And I think that adds to kind of the uh, sadness. And I think there's a lot of sadness um, in Pertwee's portrayal in this final season. His his heart doesn't seem to be quite as into it as it was like in season nine. Right, right. And this is only a year and a half, two years later, but quite a bit of television since day of the daleks i mean it's like 12 12 stories since yeah 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 it's it's just trying to you know remembering back to when i first saw this and you know of course as a kid you don't really pick up any of this mm-hmm. um i didn't pick up any of it at all um i remember being absolutely uh astounded um at the end of planet of the spiders like what Mm. Um, I had no idea that the Doctor was going to change. I had no idea that, you know, 
in some ways John Pertwee was winding down at this point um it's so interesting to contrast you know this show as a fan now where you so know so much about it with one's memories of having seen it seen it you know for and I suppose even for you um you know as a as you're watching it Again, oh, you're obviously older than I was, mm-hmm. but still, you know, you 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 would have because you already knew that there was Tom Baker. Right. You knew that you know he was going to change and that was going to be fine. I remember the day after that happened in the in the playground at school, we were like, "What the is going on? <laughs> Our what favorite show is ruined. What the <laughs> hell? What is ah? We can't believe it. This is gonna. This is a disaster." Um, uh, so anyway, yeah, yeah, I can imagine after growing. I mean, this was your first doctor, effectively, because yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, I was gobsmacked. Yeah, I mean, because I, I did, I the season. I did, you know, obviously, I'd enjoyed the season hugely. Um, the Time Warriors had some Tarans in it, who seemed to me to be horrible and cool. Um, Invasion of the Dinosaurs does awesome. what it says on. It's got dinosaurs <laughs> in it. There's nothing you can do wrong there. Right. And I, again, do not remember in any way looking at those dinosaurs as a, how old was I? Like, you know, um, uh, eight-year-old, seven-year-old, seven-and-a-half-year-old going like, those don't look like real dinosaurs. What the hell? Because, you know, obviously they're not real dinosaurs. So, and then, you know, Death of Daleks got Daleks in it. I love the Daleks. It had human sacrifice. It was in a quarry. (laughs) That was brilliant. Monster of Peladon, again, super cool. Return to Peladon again. Very, very exciting. Mm -hmm. Planet Spiders. It's about giant spiders. Again, you cannot fault that. And again, Mm -hmm. I think I've anecdoted about this before, as I keep on saying. You know, we would, uh, my friends and I, we sat around during during break time and tried to summon (laughs) up giant, giant spiders by doing what we assumed was the giant spider summoning song from uh, from Doctor Who, which obviously subsequently one finds out it's got something to do with Buddhism instead. But we just knew it as like, that's how you get giant spiders to appear. Maybe, maybe if we, we say Om Muddy Paddy Home really a lot, a giant spider will appear, but it never did. Uh, Barry Lutz really... Uh, yeah, he wrecked Buddhism for there. me. Yeah. I mean, I can never actually be a Buddhist now because that's all I think about when... Giant um, spiders. Giant spiders appear. Can't meditate yeah. at all. Exactly. Um, so yeah, this it was. It was. I was. Stu- I was absolutely stunned. Absolutely mm-hmm. stunned. So this to me is more uh, coming coming reverse. So coming from Tom Baker to uh, Pertweed, this to me is the early Tom Baker era where we we meet. We see the Sarah Jane Smith origin story. Right. Interesting. We we you know, we start to see you know some of the things that are more heavily factored into Tom Baker's season, like with Gallifrey and what, and that really hits home right, in, right. in a deadly assassin where we finally spend some time on Gallifrey and the, the uh, rose colored glasses come off and the time Lords aren't all powerful, but they're the squabbling, uh, right. slightly academic faction. So uh, the this is kind of the last hurrah of the all-powerful Time Lords where we have Choji in uh, Planet of the Spiders and uh, you know it, it's it's similar to the the Time Lords that we saw in the Three Doctors that were trying to hold back uh, uh, Omega uh, the yeah. the Time Lord that appeared at the beginning of Terra Autons to warn Pertwee's Doctor about the Master that that jack and apes 
<laughs> here's a here's a here's a downer question, which I'm not ever seen kind of answered. So as we all know, Tan- Talons of Wang Chiang gets it in the neck all the time for mm-hmm. having yellow face. Mm-hmm. Um, does Planet and the Spiders get it at all from having Kevin Lindsay do yellow face? I think it does to a lesser degree. It was because I've not seen that, but I mean, you you maybe spend more yeah, time poking it, around. It has been than I do. It was mentioned. If you if you give me a moment here, let me. Ah. I have a newspaper clipping here. Oh goodness! So it was mentioned at the time. Yes. Oh really? Because it is very slightly um, kind of buck tooth. Um, Breakfast at Tiffany's a little bit. It's a very. It's it's not to me. It's not as nuanced a performance as um, as uh, as the uh, as um the one in Talents of Wenchang. No, my mind is not working. But you know the you know the actor. Yeah. Um, boom, boom, boom. This. Ah, I think I found it. Pray. All right. So this is, this is a um, article from 1975, and it was in an, an American uh, newspaper. It's in, in the Chicago Daily News, but it, it for for huh. whatever reason that's where the clippings from. Right. Um, but they are. They're talking about uh, colored employment neglected in British television. And they specifically call out, and this is talking about uh, Shoji, uh, Kevin Lindsay, I believe. Right, Kevin uh, Lindsay, yep. Uh, portrayal in uh, The Planet of the Spiders. Huh. And wow. this is the uh, Equity, the Actors Union, that's uh, saying their members, Indians, Pakistans, and other Asians, there's good representation within the. Uh, within the union for, for 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 Asian actors, but they're not being cast, and they single out in this article. Uh, in one episode of the science thriller uh, series Doctor Who, the report notes Riley the script called for an Oriental to play the part of a Tibetan, but in this case, a white man was yellowed up with makeup to do the job. Um, Peter. Pluvias, General Secretary of Equity, commented that we are not suggesting that TV authorities and employers are motivated by racialism or discrimination in any way. He said that Equity was charging only neglect and lack of imagination by directors and casting departments. Oh, okay. Well, so, it was noticed at the time, right? It was called out even at the time. And okay. I, I think why Towns of Wang Chang is such a lightning rod is because for many, many Who fans of the Tom Baker era, and especially Philip Hinchcliffe, uh, Bob Holmes era, that is the best story. That's the top of the heap. Right. And for the longest right. time, uh, the, the refrain was ignore the giant rat. And right. so it, it's kind of brought itself up upon itself. But if we, right. if we look at other, other, stories towns is the is the lightning rod and so that attracts the most attention but there are there are portrayals and if we even even going back to say uh the mutants with uh the casting was blind colorblind but then they should have probably reworked the script instead of having the black man be cotton for example Right, right. That's interesting that that appeared in an American in an American newspaper. Yeah, well, it it could yeah. have appeared. The Equity report on um, racially casting probably appeared in the British press too. It's but that's up, right. in the Doctor Who cuttings archive. That's the cutting that they have. Ah, well, there we go then. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I again, I didn't notice it. I didn't notice it at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it seemed to he seemed to me to be very authentic Tibet, 
Tibetan mm-hmm. um, uh, to my eight-year-old eyes. Yeah, and this is a thing that uh, Barry Letts really, really believed in and liked and wanted to include in Doctor Who. But I think if he was to do it today, if he if he was a producer today producing Doctor Who and similar things came in, and granted this is... Uh, 1975 versus uh, what's going to be broadcast in 2020. So that's what 35, 40, 45 years difference in time. There would be charges of cultural appropriation. You definitely right. wouldn't want to have a, a, a white actor yellowed up or even a white actor pretending to be uh, a Tibetan. So, right. and, and Tibet itself, since China invaded and took it over, has become a lot. Uh, right. a lot more of a uh, political thing and with Doctor Who being geared towards a world audience and hoping to sell into China I I don't see us having more Tibetan characters at all no yeah it's not it's not a it's not a very common nationality within drama mm-hmm. well there we go Pertwee yeah so you were you were ready to flip autos and light tires on fire and ride in the street. <laughs> a, yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. It was it was going to be the, it was a disaster, an absolute disaster, mm-hmm. an absolute disaster, and it ended up not being a disaster. Yeah. And, and actually, I can't actually. I can remember being angry, but then you had a whole summer to get over it. Right. And by the time the autumn rolled around again, as it always does, you're like, okay, where's my who? Um, and you know, giant robots sweet so mm-hmm. you know that worked really well and we were back in the game again did robot seem like a pertwee story to you because that's kind of the received fan wisdom is that taron sticks wrote wrote a ultimate unit pertwee story for tom baker's doctor no again the age i was it just seemed awesome it was <laughs> like doctor who i mean i didn't really know any other doctor who other than a pertwee story so right. you know again fans nowadays you know obviously we all like to analyze well hence this podcast mm-hmm. um you know we like to analyze things over and over again as a kid it's like no this is doctor who great this is just this is how it should be right. the only thing that stuck out for me because i had one was the incongruity of a uh, action man scorpion tank being used in replace of a real <laughs> scorpion tank because i i knew what a real scorpion tank looked like and I had the plastic Action Man Scorpion tank, and yeah, okay, you're not fooling me. Well, that was my only criticism of Robot. They missed an opportunity then with uh, the season twelve Blu-ray. They could have uh, CGI'd in the appropriate tank. And why did they not do that? Or they could have actually, yeah, they could have done it. Well, I guess people love that tank now. So, well, we yeah. just need some of the uh, savvy fan editors to put it in. Yeah, we do, and they will. They will, no doubt. I'm quite certain they will. So as as these are going out, uh, you'll be in the lovely UK. You'll probably be I back be. by the time this one goes out. But uh, have a have a nice have a nice vacation. I certainly will. Um, and uh, yeah, back in the land, back in the land of who? Mm-hmm. Um, am I going anywhere near that's that's whoish? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I, well, I mean, we will be in kind of deepest Mummerset. Um, so uh, maybe we'll come across some uh, some pla- some some spidery. Some uh, maybe we'll visit the local Tibetan uh, uh, Buddhist retreat and see whether we can find some <laughs> summon spiders. some spiders. Summon some spiders, yeah. So yeah, so I mean, yeah, Pertwee era is my favorite era. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of affection for that era. So excellent. Uh, good. Well, goodness. So goodness. Thank you for listening to episode one twenty four of the Metabulous Two podcast. We have. 
uh, kind of capping off their three-part look at John Pertwee and his time in Doctor Who. And, uh, I am David. I've been talking to Ben. And I am Ben, and I've been talking to David. And uh, talk to you later. Okay. Have a wonderful time. Goodbye, everybody. This is also, of course, when the first Weetabix set came out with the Gordon Archer artwork, which is, again, an amazing kind of memory for me. Um, I mean, I must have eaten my way through like 10 tons of Weetabix in order to get the complete set of of game pieces. Not game pieces, beg your pardon, theatre pieces for for set one of the Weetabix action figures, which, of course, included gel guards and white robots Mm -hmm. and... Um, uh, Cybermen and um, no, oh, hang on, wait a second. I'm completely misremembering. Mm. The first Weetabix set is actually the season. Is actually it's the first season of um, it's uh, it's uh, it's season eleven. Season eleven is the is the is the Weetabix, but they had gel guards in it as well, gel guards. So that's what I'm misremembering. So you probably cut that bit too, to be honest.